0: Thank you for listening to the New Life Church podcast. If you need any information about our church or if you'd like to give online, please visit us at newlifekingman.com. Lord, that you've come into our lives and you have given us the victory, God. We thank you, Lord, God, for your presence in this room. Father, that you are meeting every need in this place right now. You are touching lives, God. You are ministering to people right now, Father. God, we give you the glory. We give you the honor, God. And we love you, Jesus. We love you today, God. We love you, God. And as we enter into this brand new year, God, this is our first worship service in the brand new year. God, we dedicate it to you. We give you this year, God, that you would have right of way. Lord, that you would accomplish your purpose, not only in our lives, in our church, but in the world, God. We pray, God, that you would be high and lifted up. God, that we would glorify your name. Lord, that you, God, would reveal yourself to the multitudes. And, Father, we glorify you today. And we magnify you in this place, God. We love you, Jesus. We love you. We praise you. Just wait on him, church. Just stay in the atmosphere of worship just for a moment. Hallelujah. God, that you would move in this place, God. God, touch us and minister to us. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, we love you. We welcome you into this place. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Isn't God good this morning? Amen. You could be seated all across this place this morning. Amen. Before we get uh, started this morning, let me just make one comment. Let me uh, um, say one thing. I think that this year we should dedicate ourselves to the worship of God. Can you say amen? Amen. And some for some of us, and I know I've had people come up and go, Pastor, you're trying to force me down a road. Yes, I am. So let's just get over it right now, and I'll just tell you what I'm trying to do. You say, why is that? Because when you break out of your shell and you begin to worship God, you're going to find that he is going to show up in your life in a way that's going to be unprecedented. And he's going to change everything. Some of you have been believing God for things for a very long time. And you're wondering, why am I being hindered? Why does it seem like the heavens are brass? Well, because we have an enemy. It's not that we have a reluctant God. We have a persistent enemy. And the only thing sometimes that causes the enemy to be broken apart is that worship. You say, why is that? Because when we praise and worship Him, the very presence of God comes on the scene. And sometimes in our minds, we as human beings, we want to come up, we are very formula driven. We like the step one, step two, step three with the guarantee that this will work at the end. The problem is the kingdom of God is not like that. The kingdom of God oftentimes to us looks like it's in reverse. You wanna get, you gotta give. You wanna live, you gotta die. You wanna be first, you gotta be last. If you wanna be the greatest, you gotta be servant of all. And so what happens is in our minds, our human mindset, we tend to think that, well, these are the things I need to do, and so we go about it, and it's not the things we need to do. And the very things that we need to do, we think, well, I will do that after. No, worship, praise and worship, always. Write it down if you're taking notes. Always comes before a great victory. Always. Every time. You will not find a story in the Word of God where victory came before praise and worship. Probably the one that said it best was Jonah when he was in the belly of the fish and he said, I will offer the sacrifices of thanksgiving. And it was when he did that, that the prayer was answered of his deliverance. And so I just want to make that statement. I just That's a freebie, that's no charge on that one. Uh, a couple things before we get into our message today a couple announcements that i want to just highlight and underscore first of all i just want to remind everybody about wednesday night this coming wednesday pastor alex is going to be starting that class how to have a happy new year how many want a happy new year well, you need to come. That's going to give you some great information about how to have a Happy New Year. Also, I just want to remind everybody about the class, Johanna's beginning, uh, starting next Sunday, 9 o'clock, Releasing Heaven's Culture. Please do not forget that. Be a part of that. That'll be a great uh, tool for you. And then also, please remember uh, that Howie's class, Readiness of Berea, is being uh, postponed. It's not canceled. It's just being pushed back one week. And so that will, instead of starting this coming week on the 6th, it'll start on the 13th. So mark that down if you will. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me over to Matthew 28. Matthew 28, we're going to be looking at verses 19 and 20. We'll get to that here in just a minute. You don't have to put it on the screen just yet. And so the thing that I I want to say to you is we are probably going to cover some new, or I'm sorry, we're going to cover some very familiar territory. Uh, I feel in my heart that this year is a significant year. I really do. I know that, you know, every preacher gets up. I've looked at other sermons that I've preached and said this year is a significant year. But I really believe in my heart of hearts this is a year that's going to really make a difference. This is a year that's going to change a lot of things. And so this morning, I want to begin by making a statement that is going to take us and launch us into the direction that we're heading. And I want you to think about this with me. There is probably nothing more significant uh, to the success of someone or some organization than their vision. Let me say that again. There's probably nothing more significant to the success of someone's life Or to the goal of an organization than their vision. And you say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, if you are going to take a trip, you got to know where you're going to go. I mean, that's about as simple as I can put it. If you don't know where you're going, then you're really not on a trip, you're just wandering. Amen. And we've all been there, haven't we? Uh, We've all done that. We've all gotten our car and said, where are you going? I don't know. I'm just going to drive for a little while. And so you head in a direction until something seems interesting or until you're bored enough that you decide to turn around, right? But if you're going to be successful and actually be on a journey, on a trip, there's got to be a goal. There's got to be a vision. If you're going to determine direction, you've got to know where you're going. If you, if, if you say, if you come up to me and, and said, can you show me the way? My next question would be, where are you going? Right? Because I can't show you the way if I don't know where you're going. I can show you a way, but it not may not be the way you want to go. Because it may not be the destination you have in mind. And so probably nothing is more significant than... To the success of our lives or our church than our vision. And one man said, To accomplish great things, we must first envision great things. Truth is, we are limited this morning only by the size of our vision. Now, I'll be honest with you, this bugs me. Can I just be honest? He said, Well, why does that bug you? Well, the reason it bugs me is I have a pretty big vision. I, I can see, I, my, the Bible says that God will do exceedingly abundantly above all that you can think or ask. That is His promise. <clears throat> and I've got a great imagination. And to be honest with you, I have not yet seen the manifestation of that expectation, of that vision. And so I hear this on a regular basis. I've been around a while, and I've heard people preach. I've heard them say, get a big vision, think big. If you're, if you're going to think, then you might as well think big. But then I think to myself, well, if I think big, oftentimes I think myself into a place where it's overwhelming, and I know it's beyond my ability to even remotely bring to pass. And they say, that's a good place to be. Well, that place is a very uncertain place. That's a very nervous, nerve-wracking place. That's a place where you don't feel real secure because you're thinking, you know what, I've got this vision and I'm starting to move down the road and (coughs) I'm starting to see things that that I don't know that I could control or deal with. And then you're in this place of limbo. Have you ever been in that place of limbo where you're just kind of like, is this really going to come to pass? God says, I'm going to bring it to pass. And that's why I'm preaching this this morning, because I really do believe that God is going to bring some things to pass. The Wright brothers, talking about vision, envisioned that one day man could fly. That's a pretty big vision when you think about it for us today, it's, it's a no-brainer. We, yeah, yesterday, Kathy and I were up in Las Vegas, and as we always do, we find a parking lot somewhere where we can go and watch airplanes fly, uh, and, and they, where they land, and they take off, and all of that. And I am always amazed at these gigantic things, hundreds of thousands of pounds getting up in the air, and lifting off, and going out into all the world. I'm always amazed at that. But see, today when you say, can man fly, it's no big deal. It's just like, but back then, the only way to fly was to jump off a cliff and you didn't fly very far. And the sudden, the stop was what got you. How many know what I'm talking about? Henry Ford envisioned that cars (coughs) would one day be made by the thousands. And the crazy thing is there were naysayers. They said, if you ride in a car over 19 miles an hour, you will get an aneurysm that will cause your brain to explode. <laughs> the, I think it was the guy that actually was making the buggies that horses pull around. I think he's the one that started that. Edison envisioned that a tiny little wire sealed in a glass bulb would light every home in America. America. And as impractical as their visions were, it's what drove them. It captivated them. It energized them. They were mocked and laughed at and considered foolish and reckless. Their ideas were extreme and oftentimes they were dangerous. They were filled with risk and seasoned with failure. But there was something on the inside of each of these men that the rest of the world could not see and it was their vision and it pushed them forward and it kept them on track and they saw saw through them they saw something different even though there was difficult moments of failure they could still see the end goal and because these men surrendered their lives to the vision today we fly around the world in a matter of hours in just about every city in america you can buy the car of your choice well as long as it's not on a boat somewhere in the ocean And tonight, before you go to bed, you can read your Bible, not by candlelight, but by the gentle glow of a light bulb. This morning, we are sitting in a place where the vision of a man came to pass. You say, what do you mean by that? June 15th, 1995. We closed escrow on the property that this building sits on. I remember the day Pastor Howard came in and says, we're buying eight acres up on Wallapai Mountain Road. I said, you, we got $200 in the bank. He goes, oh yeah, it's no big deal. He, says, he, he said, we need $10,000 by the end of the month for the down payment. I said, well, how much does this property cost? He goes, 60000 I will repeat, we have 200 bucks in the bank. It's all right, signed the papers already. I said, you opened escrow? He goes, yeah, it's already open. He said, we're going to build a building up there. I thought we were going to remodel the one downtown. That was the original plan. He goes, yeah, I can that idea. Okay. So we prayed. And we prayed and I, I, we Kathy and I drew a great big thermometer, you know, back in the day when you had thermometers and we took pledges and we were and you know we were gonna get that ten thousand dollars and you know what by the end of the month we had it was the Sunday before the the Monday that we had to pay the ten thousand dollars and there was five hundred on the thermometer. We only needed nine thousand five hundred dollars more. And we had 24 hours to do it. And Howard said, to make matters worse, he said, I'm going to preach somewhere. He preached a lot around. And he goes, I'm gone, you're handling service. And he said, as he's leaving, which he was famous for, by the way, make sure you have the 10 grand tomorrow. You want me to stand out in front of Circle K with a basket? I'm not... I'm not really sure what happens. And I remember after we got done with service, Pam, his wife, called me into the little usher's office that we had. And she goes, you got to see this. And she opened up an envelope. And there were somebody anonymously had given in cash 100, $100 bills. Just so I can do your, just so you don't got to get your calculator out. That's $10,000. We bought this property and then... We started with the building permit, and everybody said at the city, you can't build up there. <clears throat> Why? There's too much rock. It's all rock. <clears throat> the expense of getting through that rock is going to be so prohibitive, you can't, you can't do it, you can't do it, you can't do it. Nobody's ever going to build up here. Have you looked around lately? <laughs> 23 years later here we sit because somebody had a vision we're here again at a crossroads moment a moment that calls for vision a big vision a vision that will change this city change lives of multitudes and a vision that will ignite hearts and that vision is to win souls Not just bring people to salvation, but a vision that reaches the lost, restores the broken, and releases people into their destiny. And the title of this message is Personalizing the Vision, the Call of the Harvest. And the reason I named it that is because it cannot be just my vision. It must be our vision. We must personalize this vision. And you say, why must I do that? Because not only will this be our vision, (coughs) church, this is our call. This is what God has put upon us. Read our text, Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, very familiar portion of scripture. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. This was the call that God put upon His church. This is the call that He has put upon you and I. And so, the vision and the theme of this year of 22. 2022 is reach, restore, and release. Now, there's three words on the wall in the foyer that sum up our vision. Grace, hope, and transformation. And those words really are more than uh, decorations. Those words describe the heart of all that we do as a body of believers. What we do in this church, everything we do, is for one reason, and one reason only. It's for the one who desperately needs a Savior, a healer, a deliverer. We do what we do for the one that is still lost, still in sin, and still broken. We do it so that they, like us, can come and receive grace, find hope, and experience transformation. We are a people that reaches the lost, restores the broken, and and releases them into their destiny. If you get nothing else today, please get that. That is not my job. That is our calling. If you want to know what my job is according to Scripture, you can read it in Ephesians chapter 4. It says, He gave gifts to men, some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. My job today, church, is to equip you that we may fulfill the vision. Are you hearing what I'm saying? That we may walk in the calling. Every man, woman, and child in this room today is called to that great commission. And it should be our vision. Several weeks ago, I preached on the passion for lost souls. And I told you, we need to really be passionate. We need to strike out. We need to hunger for the lost. Well, I could tell you today, what we need to hear is the call of the harvest. In Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 and 36, it says, Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. I, I have always loved this portion of Scripture because it reveals so much about Jesus. It gives us a real view into the heart of our Savior. In this verse, we find Jesus doing what only Jesus does. He's teaching, he's preaching, he's healing, he's bringing freedom. But the Bible doesn't just present him as a mechanical, sterile, boring rabbi. But the Bible shows us his passion. Verse 36 says, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them. He saw their departure from God. He saw their depravity and sin, and he saw their despair without a shepherd. He saw saw them because they were weary, they were burdened, and they were falling. He was moved with compassion, and he turns to his disciples, I imagine with tears in his eyes, and he says, the harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. And he says, pray therefore the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Church, that's what we need to be. We need to be the answer to that prayer. In effect, Jesus is saying, can you see it? Can you hear it? It's the call of the harvest. Church, we've been called. We've been sent. And we need to see the need and hear the call of the harvest. There's days that I drive through this town, Kathy and I often just we take rides and we'll drive through town, various parts of town. And you know, we all know that there's those really nice fancy areas of town and then we know there are those places that aren't so fancy and they're difficult. But I think about those people that are there. I think about them being lost. I think about the fact that we have an answer and we need to be about the vision and the call of God. Can you say amen? Amen. Winning souls to Christ should be our passion. Yet for many, it's almost a forgotten expression. For years, it was a tremendous motivating force in Christianity. Today, the emphasis on things like technology and programs and style and growth, we've almost forgotten the emphasis on constantly and consistently winning people to Christ. Every Christian should be characterized by a passion to lead others to Christ. The danger we face is that soul winning can almost become incidental in our lives. That's the danger we face. For many, it remains their goal in theory, but in practice, it's often not a priority Surveys reveal that 90 to 95% of professing Christians never share their faith with non-believers, nor have ever led someone to the Lord. A famous preacher was once asked, what do you consider the greatest thing a human being can do or be? And without hesitation, the famous preacher replied, the greatest thing of all is for one human being to bring another human being to Christ. You know, when we talk about reaching the lost and we talk about passion for souls and evangelism, there's a couple things that I think we get confused and we have to understand there's a difference. Inviting people to church is not necessarily evangelism. Sharing the love of God that has been invested in you and what he has done for you and leading them To Christ is evangelism. There's no doubt we need to invite people to church. Please don't misunderstand. We should all be inviting people to our church. We should all be saying, hey, come with me. I know of a place where they speak of God and they can teach you and they can help you and they can encourage you, but never take yourself out of the equation. You have a testimony. God has done something in your life. You have something to say. And they need to hear it. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Charles Spurgeon put it this way. He said, soul winning is the chief business of the Christian minister. And it should be the passion of every believer. In Proverbs 11.30 it says, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. And he that wins souls is wise. And we need to rekindle our passion for souls. We need to feel uh, love for people that the the kind of love that drew Christ from heaven to earth and filled filled his heart. There's no greater joy, church, than leading a person to Jesus and to experience his love. And the more you taste this joy, the more you will want to be a soul winner. I know this may not necessarily set well with modern Christianity, but nonetheless it's true, isn't it? No Christian, in, no Christian will ever be the person God has called them to be unless they are active in soul winning. So I think that's the thing that's so discouraging at times in Christianity is we have such a derivative of what the Bible says it is. When these guys in the old days, when in, the, in the New Testament, when these guys got saved, they couldn't think about anything else but sharing the love of Christ. Many of, many of the greatest men of God, the giant leaders in days gone by, were marked by their passion for souls. John Knox constantly carried the burden for Scotland. Night after night, he prayed on the wooden floor of his home When his wife pleaded with him to get some sleep, he answered, How can I sleep when when the land is not saved? Knox would pray all night in agonizing tones, Lord, give me Scotland or I die. And God shook Scotland. God gave him Scotland because of his passion. John Wesley exhorted his followers, Let us be of one business. We live only for this, to save our own souls and the souls of those who hear us. Give me 100 preachers who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God, and I care not a straw whether they be clergymen or laymen. Such alone will shake the gates of hell and set up the kingdom of heaven on earth. William Booth, the founder of Salvation Army, was asked by the King of England what the ruling force of his life was, and he replied, Sir, some men's passion is for gold, other men's passion is for fame, but my passion is for souls. Billy Graham said, My one purpose in life is to help people find a personal relationship with God, which I believe comes through knowing Christ, and countless millions have countless millions came to Christ through his ministry. Billy Graham was once offered, I think it was ExxonMobil. I'm not sure, I could be wrong about it. They came to him and they offered him a job as some sort of ambassador, some sort of spokesman for their company because he was so well-known and so, so popular and his skill, his people skills were off the chart and they offered him $1 million a year to do this job and he turned it down. He says, no, I'll pass. They came back to them and said, is it, is it not enough money? He goes, oh, it it's not the money. He says, the job is too small. <laughs> Paul the apostle said this, I've become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. And Jesus said, for the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. What if we had the same kind of passion to witness to our world about our encounter with Jesus. What kind of impact could we have on the world? Imagine. Not everyone is called to be a William Booth or a Billy Graham or Paul the Apostle, but everyone is called to bear fruit. Everyone is called to win souls. Your life may involve many things of great importance, but nothing This morning is as important as you sharing your life. Your life in Christ. What Jesus has done with somebody who needs to hear it. As I bring this to a close this morning, I want you to just think about this for a moment. I want you to think about the power of a faithful witness. And I've done this before. This is not new information, but... I feel like this needs to be said again and we need to see it again. And I want to share a story with you that, like I said, I've shared many times before, but I think it has significant power. It's about a man that you may have never heard about before. But what he did ended up having more fruit than I can imagine anyone His name was Edward Kimball. Mr. Kimball was a Sunday school teacher, a man of prayer, and a man with a passion for souls. His Sunday school class was often filled with rowdy boys in difficult cases, and there was one young man in the class that was exceptionally difficult. He would often frequently fall asleep during the service, He was hard to reach and this young man seemed completely disinterested. Yet Mr. Kimball remained faithful to the word and continued to witness to him. On April 21st, 1885, Kimball visited the Holton shoe store and found found the young man that was in his Sunday school class in the stock room of the shoe store and spoke to him about the love of Christ. Shortly after, the disinterested, difficult young man received Jesus as his Savior and devoted his life to serve God. That young man was D.L. Moody. And Moody became the greatest evangelist of his time, and he touched two continents for God, and untold thousands of people were saved. On June 17, 1873, Moody arrived in Liverpool, England, for a series of crusades, and the meetings were very bad at first. Hardly anybody came. But then one day the dam burst and blessings began to flow and Moody visited a Baptist pastor, a scholarly man that was very resistant to American preachers. But soon his staunch English pastor was transfixed and transformed by Moody's message and his life was touched by the Holy Spirit through Moody's preaching. So much so that he came to the United States and brought revival with him. That man was the great theologian, F.B. Meyer. Still to this day, his books are widely read. In fact, I've read several of them. Meyer was preaching in a, chapel at a college at the chapel service, and his sermon was about surrender, and he says, if you, cannot tell, uh, if you cannot tell God you are willing to give him everything, ask him to make you willing to be willing. A struggling minister, discouraged and beat down, was in the audience that day, and he said to himself, he's talking to me. I've been, I've been ready to quit, give up, and to get out of ministry. And the man was touched by God, and God used him in a mighty way. That struggling minister was a man by the name of J. Wilbur Chapman. Chapman began to look for someone to help him in his evangelistic work, and he found a professional baseball player, a young man converted from a life of drunkenness in Chicago. His name was Billy Sunday. When Chapman got old, he turned the work of his ministry and equipment uh, over to Billy Sunday, and Billy Sunday became a world-famous evangelist. He was in his day the Billy Graham of his day. And in 1924, Billy Sunday preached a citywide crusade in Charlotte, North Carolina. And out of the revival meeting, a group of men formed a prayer, prayer group that prayed for the world. And they prayed for Charlotte to have another great revival. As a result of that prayer meeting, God sent another evangelist named Mordecai, Mordecai Ham. And Ham went to Charlotte. And in 1934, he held a crusade under a big tent where a young 15-year-old Billy Graham got saved. See, we'll never know. We'll never know the fruit that we will bear. Only heaven will tell. You know, and I think about these stories because as we go back and we read the story, we go, oh, that's so wonderful. But I can only imagine... The days when Mr. Kimball is doing his Sunday school class and he's got 10 boys and really what he wants to do is knock them in the head with a board because they won't shut up. And he's thinking, what am I doing? I'm absolutely wasting my time. These guys don't care. How many times have I come into Jacob's Ladder and and taught in Jacob's Ladder and thought, you know what, they're just marking time for for a court somewhere. How many times have I preached in a service where I looked around the room and I thought the only one really interested in this is my wife. I'm not even interested. And I'm preaching the service. And I wonder how many times we have gone through those moments of discouragement and we thought about quitting or we thought about, you know what, I'm just going to settle in and I'm just going to, you know, I'm just going to hold the party line and I'll just be a good Christian. And, and somehow we just flattened out and we lost our passion. We lost our vision. I tell that story because that story is real of people that had real struggles. But somewhere they got over it, and they got through, and they had a vision, and fruit came. I wonder if Mr. Kimball, Mr. Edward Kimball is in heaven, and as Billy Graham has seen hundreds of thousands of people saved, I wonder if Jesus came and said, you know, that's because you were faithful to talk to D.L. Moody. And that was because he was faithful to talk to him, and see you don't see all that's going on. And so, church, we are going into 2022, and I don't know what the time frame is. I don't know how this old world's going to wind up. I don't know. We could have a day. We could have a year. We could have a hundred years. I don't know. But I do know this: we are sure a lot closer than we were yesterday. Amen. I know this. This world needs an answer. I know this world needs the Savior. Right now, our government and, and politics and entertainment and the educational world, they don't have answers. In fact, they're spinning themselves into more dilemma. They don't know what they're doing. They don't have an answer because they're trying to figure it all out. They, they've they, they, they have thrown off the biblical moral standard that makes life worth living. And somewhere what we need to be is a people that can rise up in love. Listen, in love and in grace and in truth and share the love of Jesus. We need to have a vision for the lost. That means crazy people will come in. That means they'll be dirty and smelly. That means they might be loaded and drunk. That might mean they're half out of their mind. And what we need to be is a people that can look beyond that and see their soul like Jesus did and was moved with compassion. Amen. Many of you probably, as I look around the room, I know there's a few here that, that knew Pastor Howard. when Pastor Howard got saved he was not the star convert (laughs) he came to church in bib overalls with no underwear on and a great big long beard and long hair still smoking pot in fact he would see the one thing that did change he said is he started smoking pot in his shed because he figured God couldn't see through the shed (laughs) he got to love a guy like that. But somewhere, some people, an older couple, I forget their name. I know Pastor Harry probably remembers their name. But I forget their name. They just befriended him and, and Pam, took them out to, out to uh, lunch, and just were, just were friends to them, just loved on them say it again, Lawrence and Carol Huey, loved on them. And you know what? Somewhere God began to work and changed him. Pastored his first church on parole. (laughs) He said it was really hard when he was doing a men's Bible study and the parole officer knocked on the door and says, time to do your UA. (laughs) Had to stop Bible study. It's all because somebody had a passion for souls. We need to have a passion for souls. Can you say amen? If Jason wants to come, he can this morning. Would you bow your heads with me just for a moment? Father, we thank you so much. I pray right now, God, that you would stir us. Father, I pray that you would just give us this passion. Father, it's not something that's contrived. It's not something that we can manufacture, Lord. It's not something that we can hype ourselves into. It really is something that you give as a gift. Father, I pray right now, stir every person in this room for souls. Help us to hear the call of the harvest. Help us to personalize the vision Lord, to realize that we are a people that are reaching the lost, restoring the broken, and releasing people into destiny. Father, help us, I pray. God, that we would not squander our time. Lord, you have always wanted us to be a people of joy and You wanted us a people that were fulfilled and satisfied. And there's many things that we can enjoy and be satisfied with and still have that passion. But there is nothing that will satisfy us quite like doing your work. So I pray, God, stir everybody here. And Father, I pray also that you would fill this building with souls. God, that you, God, would cause men and women to be drawn into this place to hear the gospel. God, I pray that you would help us to share, to love, and and to give what you've given to us, to give it away. Oh, Father, I pray for your goodness in our lives. And I thank you, Jesus. I wonder as every head is bowed and every eye is closed, if you're in this place today and you say, well, I've listened to what you had to say and but I don't know if I know Jesus. I don't know that I've ever given my life to him. I've never asked Christ to come into my life. Or, or maybe you're here today and, and, and you've had a relationship with God, but for whatever reason it, it did, it grew cold, it, it, it grew stagnant, and you walked away. And you kind of set it down. And now you find yourself disconnected. If you're here and you need salvation or you need rededication, would you lift your hand up all across this place? Amen. I see that hand, that hand, that hand. Others today. Anyone else? Raise your hand quickly and put it right back down. Amen. Would you all pray with me? Say, Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my life and to forgive me of my sins. I give you my life and I surrender to you and I receive your life in return. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask our ministry team to come to come up front very quickly. Now listen, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, or maybe you've prayed it a hundred times, it's the greatest thing you've ever done. And we encourage you to get connected in church. And one of the ways to get connected is if you prayed the prayer, whether it was rededication or salvation, come down and let these folks pray with you. Come speak to them and let them minister to your life so that you can make, begin to make that change. And let God do his work in you. Amen. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. We're going to release you today. We love you. Next week, we're going to do part two of this. We're going to have a good time. You guys have a great Sunday afternoon. Enjoy the brand new year. Amen. Amen. Thank Thank you for listening to the New Life Kingman podcast. We can't wait to see you next week.